0: No more excuses, period. Don't you like that, that intro? How are you guys tonight, today, whatever it is? Good? Did you know, I'm Scott Weatherford, by the way. It's the first Sunday, it hasn't rained in seven weeks. Now, if you remember last week, I said next week it was gonna be 70 degrees and perfect. Do you remember that? Now, I'm not gonna say I'm a prophet because if a prophet's wrong once, you have to stone them. And I ain't talking about Austin Stone, y'all. You know, our Canada stone. Did you know Canada legalized marijuana? So they were, they were sorry before. Now they are gonna really be sorry. But anyway, that's a whole other story. But today's our birthday, sort of. But it's kind of like Christmas. I don't want y'all to get oh whoa, whoa, wobbly on me. But you know, we don't really know exactly when Jesus was born, so we celebrate on the 25th. We really don't know exactly when First Baptist was born, so we just celebrate it arbitrarily. So we're going to, you know, I wrote this birthday sermon today, so I'm not going to change I'm going to preach something different on the 4th. Is that all right? Yeah, because next week we start a series called Encounters with Jesus, and you don't want to miss any of that. But today I'm going to talk about who we are and what we're doing. Now, my dear friend, I'm not going to give you his name, but I'm going to give you his initials. Colin McFerrin <laughs> says that I postponed the birthday party so I could do what, Colin. Now, here's the truth. Colin buys his pumpkin cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory. No! It's it's going down, brother. So uh, we're going to have some fun. So November 4th, mark your calendar. Let's pack out this campus. Let's celebrate in a big way. But today, we're going to be talking about our birthday and who we are and what we've been for 134 years. Can you imagine that? 134. Now, some of y'all were in the congregation at that time, but most people are dead. 134 years of faithfully serving God in the Wimberley Valley. Now, I've been kind of looking at our history, who we are and what we are, and y'all on that side and that side, I'm gonna have to preach at you through the cross. Kind of symbolic anyway. Uh, But who we are and what we're about, and it's just been amazing. In 1884, a small group of people started a church at Jacob's Well. Now, that's kind of where everybody had gathered. Why do you think they gathered at Jacob's Well? Water. Water in Texas is pretty important, right? Now, we got a lot of water right now, but y'all know the time's coming when we won't have as much water, right? But they gathered there Jacob's Well for water and to start a church. Now, at that time, they started a Baptist church. Why did they start a Baptist church? Because, not because of water, yeah. They had to baptize folks. To Thank you, Jake. They started a Baptist church because they wanted to be biblicist. The bi- Baptist thought is that there's no creed other than the Bible, and the Bible is who we are, and what we stand by, and we're going to get all our directions from God's Word. So instead of calling us Baptist, we should be called Biblicist. Biblicist, because that's who we are. Now, Baptist was a name given to us mockingly. It was given to us mockingly because we baptized people after they came to Christ. So the other people say, oh, those Baptists are those baptizers, when we really should be known as Biblicists, because we're, a, we're part of, of the Bible. The Bible is, is our guide. It's our only creed and our only guide. Now, there's been a Baptist preacher in my family in successive generations since the 1700s. Isn't that crazy? And so somebody asked me, said, what would you be if you weren't a Baptist? And I said, well, I'd be ashamed. Just a joke, just a joke. Of course, over the years, Baptists have been labeled for being legalistic and judgmental and all that thing, but that's not who we are, and that's not who First Baptist Church Wimberley is or should be. It could become that, but we don't want it to be because we want it to live a purity. This church started to build lives and honor God in 1884, and it's continued through that. Now, I'll tell you something else about this church. It's never been about a location or a building. This church has moved many, many times, We've been in different locations in different places. And it's always been about a people. It's never been about a building or a location. It's always been about family and love and caring for one another and comforting one another and seeing people come to Christ and become more like Christ. It's always been about that. There's times that this church has been inward focused. And there's times that this church has been outward focused. During the 2015 Memorial Day flood, this church set a precedent for outward focus. That literally this campus became a place of rescue and launch of mercy and grace to this valley. And it's still making an impact today because of your response. We are also known as the church of the first response. When hurricanes hit, we're up and gone. Our wonderful ministry called Carpenter's Helpers are now have, have gone out to, uh, to the Llano area and Kingsland and Marble Falls. They didn't wait for permission. They just went. I love that because we are a church with the big heart to be prepared and to respond. That's who we've been for 134 years. Now about a year ago, Tara and I got invited into your adventure. We got placed into your history. And so I don't have history over those years before, but I have history over the last year. Now what I wanna take you through is just kind of an adventure of what we've experienced in the last year some changes that this old girl has gone through since you hired that crazy preacher. And let's talk about that. What has God done for us in this last year that I think has been kind of compelling? Now this is not about me, this is about the Lord. We have clearly defined our purposes. We exist to build lives that honor God and we do so by connecting, growing, serving and sharing and that is a life of honor. Now I'll let you on a little secret. I look back through our history And this has been who we are since the beginning. In 1994, Dr. Richard Cheatham, who's your pastor, who's still a part of our family, he's in the last gathering, actually, he's gonna preach for us again in the near future. He wrote down the five things that this church ought to be about, and that was those five things. Two pastors ago, Mark Bryant, same thing. Pastor Mike, same thing. Beyond that, same thing, same thing, same thing. We clearly defined it and we clearly aligned it in this last year. We've lined ourselves on our budget, on our ministries, our pastors are assigned in these areas. We've done all these things intentionally because we stand upon the shoulders of godly leaders who come before us. And we, all we've done is clarify. All we've done is state. And I know for the last year you've heard, Can that grow, servant and share. Can that grow, servant and share. Can that grow, serve, and share. You're gonna hear a lot more of it because he goes all the way back 2,000 years ago to the heart of Jesus to build people. He wants you connected to Christ and connected to each other in the family, growing to be like Christ, serving God by serving others and contagiously sharing the love of Jesus in word and deed. And this is a life of honor, a life of worship. When I came here as your interim, for that brief time that I was here as your interim, there was a conversation going on about changing your structure. And I listened to this conversation. In fact, the, sun, the Saturday before I was voted in as interim, I was playing in a golf tournament hosted by this church. And these, there was some discussion going on with some of the key leaders. And they said, you know, we really need to change our structure. Now, being a pastor for 37 years, when they taught, started talking about changing structure, I, talk, I started making distance. I didn't want to get in that conversation because I've been there and done that. Do y'all remember the scene from Jaws when they start showing their scars from shark attacks? I could show my scars from structural change. This is the church in 1992. This is the Alabama church in 2015. This is the Canadian church. It's a big one. <laughs> you are changing structure. So, but they continued to persist. And I said, the worst thing you could do is try to change your ch- structure while you have an interim pastor. And they said, that's the best thing we could do because we could kill you and get another one. And so we changed the structure and we went from a committee exoskeleton to a philosophy of endoskeleton where we can grow to become what God wants to be. We went from a restrictive structure that forced a bureaucracy and politics to an endostructure that's biblical and timeless that helps you be free to do ministry. And you guys did that. And for 135 three-year-old church at that time, to do that is unprecedented. I didn't want to do that because I knew the pain. But this church did that, and this old girl with two artificial hips began to dance again. It's pretty amazing. We developed an intentional disciple-making pathway through our next steps process where you'd step in step with and step up and step out. And we're teaching that over and over and over to help you understand what does it biblically mean to to be connected, growing, and serving, and sharing. How do we live that out? And this is what I hear overwhelmingly from the many of you who have attended these, these classes. We should have been teaching this all along. All along. Scott Tidwell told me he was cleaning out an office recently, and he found the Connect, Grow, Serve, and Share class that was written for this church in 2005, but never implemented. And now we're doing it because it was the right time at the right place. And we've done this on purpose. So why do we do this? Because we love you. And we wanna see your lives honoring God. We've introduced the concept of the three Gs, your God time, your group time, and your gathering time. And we're purposely organizing and and putting things together around our weekend messages. So you can have a time in our gatherings and a time in a group and a time with God. Next Tuesday, our staff, our team, staff team, is going to spend an all-day retreat where we're going to be looking at 2019, and we're going to be discussing the sermon plan for the whole year, including your group time and your God time. We planned it out for the whole year. Why? So we can research and do a better job of teaching and guiding. Now, some of you said, well, what if God changes his mind in the middle of the year? We're going to go with God. You see, I'm not the senior pastor here. Jesus is the senior pastor. I'm just the lead pastor. I'm just the guy standing in the gap. And that's all I am. And we're gonna follow the senior pastor who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he could change our path and change our path any way he wants to. And we're gonna listen to him and follow him. But we're looking forward to next year. And next year's gonna be fun. We're gonna, we're gonna teach all the way through the book of Acts. We're gonna teach through the book of John, the book of Luke. I mean, you guys look out for this next year. It's gonna be awesome. I'm excited about it. I'm gonna teach, I've never done this. I've never done a series on the leadership of Moses. How God takes a mess. You know Moses was a basket case, right? And how he changes people's lives when he intervenes and steps into them. And I I wanna encourage you. Uh, We partied with a purpose around here. And we built a sense of family. We've had you know, birthday parties and, and Passover Sunday parties and praise pie and party uh, prayer, that's it. Praise pie and pear, prayer, that's hard to say. Praise pie and prayer. We've had those kind of events. I think I've eaten more hot dogs in the last year than I have in my entire life. And it's been awesome. Uh, we've had the, the holy ice cream. Uh, we've eaten a lot of that. And all of that, why do we do that? Because we want to be a family and a sense of family. So this party coming up on November the 4th is all about us being a family and celebrating together. So don't miss it. Invite more people because God wants his family to grow. So look forward to that on the 4th. Then on November the 11th, we're going to have our annual general meeting. We're going to have a church business meeting. Everybody goes, oh, just drill a hole in my forehead have a church business meeting. But you know what? We have business meetings like none other where they turn into praise and prayer and we're gonna follow it up with some pie. So y'all look forward to that. In fact, that weekend, look forward to this. That weekend's gonna be a cool weekend. On November the 10th, the cowboy band's coming back to play on Saturday night. So y'all can mark that down. Some of y'all might wanna double dip that weekend. Now don't listen to the cowboys that leave before I preach, okay? Because, you know, actually, I'm not even gonna preach that weekend My brother, Dr. Stan Weatherford, will be back that weekend to preach. So you know you want to hear that, right? Yeah, so that's going to be exciting uh, that weekend. In fact, we're going to help uh, the deer population in Texas while he's here as well. We're going to have a men's gathering. you got to have some venison, right, guys? So if God didn't want you to eat animals, he wouldn't have made them out of meat. Some of you are going to tweet that out, Okay. We've reached beyond ourselves in missional engagement. Tom just got back from Cuba. Tom had 15 pastors signed up to be coaches in Cuba, and he ended up with 20 pastors showing up for the training. And it went well, and it went great, and Tom invested. And it's your generosity that made that happen. We're reaching out to Costa Rica. We're reaching out to Nicaragua as God would give us opportunities. We're looking for opportunities for us to reach beyond ourselves in missional engagement. Now I want to say this to you. Over 75 churches in our area have been impacted, influenced, and encouraged because of the ministry here at First Baptist Church. We decided we were going to be a teaching church. And Amber, my assistant, can tell you that every week, multiple times, pastors are reaching out for help and encouragement. It's incredible. Next Sunday night, I didn't tell anybody else this, so y'all don't tell nobody, okay? Next Sunday night, I'm going to First Baptist Kyle, to talk to them about revitalization. Isn't that cool? Not to steal anybody from there, because they'll hear me and say, Well, you're going up there. But to encourage that pastor and walk along with them to help encourage them. Why? Because this church has a vision to do those things. Isn't that cool? And reaches all the way to the, to the West Coast, to California, to Tucson, up to the Midwest, to South Dakota, over to Baton Rouge and, and to Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, The reach is incredible as God has given us opportunity to build and encourage people. And that is just in this last year. Also, we've seen new ministries launched. Things like Cooking to Connect. As y'all stuff those cookies in your pie hole, that's a ministry. That's a ministry. And aren't you glad for it? Yeah, at the end of last gathering, we asked people to come and you see all the I will stickers on the cross and I explained that. And they came and they, they stuck their stickers. Now we wanted them to stay and sing. They got them left because they wanted a cookie. It's the draw of the cookie more than Christ. But uh, anyway, I'll tease them next week. But it's all about that, that ministry and other ministries that we've started and ministries we've been strengthened. We've been able through a philosophy driven ministry To see Sunday school and group life thrive simultaneously. Because we've not said it's got to be Sunday school or it's got to be small groups. We said we want to see people get connected. Whether it's on campus or whether it's off campus, whether it's three or four, whether it's 15 or 20, whether it's 50, we want to see people connect. Whether it's men or whether it's women, whether it's students, we want to see people connected. And we watch God take that ministry and make it flourish. Where we're seeing literally hundreds of you connected in groups. That's so exciting. It's so, what a blessing to me to see us not be based on a program or a personality, but a philosophy of building lives that honor God. Incredible how God has unified us. In fact, there's been four distinctives that's helped us. We've had a commitment to doctrinal purity, a commitment to philosophical unity, a commitment to structural clarity, and a commitment to relational integrity. This is a loving church. Tara and I have had the privilege of pastoring several churches around our our nation and even internationally into Canada. And this church has been the most loving and receptive church we've ever been a part of. And we're so grateful for you. We love you and we feel your love back for us. We're glad to be in the Wimberley Valley among you. You have been a blessing to us. And you guys, this year's been the year of hope. We had one of our artists, Chris Vaughn, he, uh, he made this sign, hope. He freehand cut that with a plasma torch. Isn't that incredible? Just, he's incredibly gifted. He plays the drums in our first gathering. And, uh, and he, he made this sign for us to declare that we're bringing hope to the Wimberley Valley. Next year is the year of influence. We wanna influence the world from the valley, all for Jesus. So it's gonna be an exciting year as we reach beyond ourselves and we look out instead of looking in. Your generosity has been amazing. You've released resources to do good, to fund the mission, and to pay off the debt that uh, is going down every day. And it's a good thing the debt's going down every day. You know why? Because we're going to have to build some more stuff. Just saying. I'd rather be beat with a stick than build a building. But every church I've gone to pastor has had to build a dadgum building. So, let's go, right? Let's do something. Let's go, right? Okay. This is the building project from 2018. Yeah. (laughs) All for Jesus as we reach beyond ourselves and we do what God wants us to to be, what God wants us to be. And I'm just amazed as the resources have been released and that we are the mission here. It's been an amazing year and we're just getting started together, y'all. It's just beginning. And it's not about buildings, it's not about structure, it's not about groups. It's about you. It's about having your life built and your life encouraged. It's about having parents that are rescued and marriages that are saved and kids that are loved. I was listening yesterday to what was going on at Upward Football. I could hear it from my house. And I I just thought, this is what it's about. It's not about playing football, but it's about building kids, about loving kids. It's about loving you. Every week when I prepare and I think about you, I think about the love I have for you. And the way I want to see you become everything God wants you to be. I heard a politician this week say this. He said, we want to see every child, every person live to their fullest potential. And you know what I said? Baloney. Because politics will never do that. Government will never do that. Only King Jesus can do that. And we want to see you reach your fullest potential. Your full redemptive potential in King Jesus. And then we want to see it together as the family of faith, as the body of Christ, as this little old 134-year-old church in the Wimberley Valley, all for King Jesus. So today I'm going to do something very personal for you. Because I consider you my family, I'm going to bring you into my family legacy. My grandparents, my mother's parents, uh, Robert Murray Causey, and Nona Elizabeth Causey loved Jesus. And they loved Jesus big time. And every night, when we were kids, we'd go to their house for holidays or whatever, and summer vacations, and we'd hear them laying in their bed, and they quoted Psalm 103. In the still of that Mississippi night, where there was no air conditioning and, and not much heat. I mean, I I would wake up in the December mornings, could blow smoke, lay it in the feather bed that engulfed everything but your nose, and that we listen to them live out their faith and quote Psalm 103 together. And today I want to take you through that Psalm, and I want you to see what God has done for you, what God has done for us, and then for us to make the I will decision that I will live to make a difference because Jesus has done this for me. I used a phrase last week that was maybe a little grammatically inept, but theologically solid. It says this, because I have been, then I will. Because I have been loved, because I've been given grace, because I've been given resources, and because I've been given life, I can give my life away. Last week, we had the $100 challenge. 30 of you and our family accepted the $100 challenge and the stories that have come back have been unbelievable. One person given the gift anonymously came to me and wanted to give me the credit for it. So I took it. No, I didn't. I said, no, this is from the Lord. This is people working for the Lord. And they told me what they were going to do with that money. And you know what they were going to do? They were going to give it to somebody else. And you just see what God's doing. It's so incredible. So at the end of this, I want you like hundreds before you to come to the cross and say, I will. I will live all for Jesus. I will live to make a difference because he's done these things for me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us today out of your word. And I pray, Father, that you'll give me your thoughts and your word. That'll not be what I think, Father, but what your truth teaches and what will change us from the core of who we are. And I thank you for what you're going to say and what you're going to do. And I pray this all in your strong name. Amen. I invite you to take take the weekend with you notes out, jot down some things. I'll remind you that on our website, we have accompanying resources, group material, and of course, the personal readings with the I Will book. Like I said, next week, we start encounters with Jesus, which is going to be incredible. I'm going to be talking next week about Jesus's invitation to come and see. Jesus invites you to get close. He doesn't want you to just uh, blindly follow him. He wants you to study him and come close to him so he can show you his life change. So let's look forward to that next week. But for now, let's jump into Psalm 103. Here's the first thing I want you to hear is look at what God has done for you. Look at what he's done. Listen to to the Psalm. Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. Or as the King James says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. I would hear my grandparents say every night that I was a child and at their home. And I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget all the good things he's done for me. You see, my life starts making sense when my life comes into focus in the realities of Jesus Christ. When I see him for who he really is and what he really has done for me, then my life comes into the clarity of focus. Focus that he says this is who he is. Have you heard this statement? Maybe you have. Tara and I had a discussion about it this week. I think it was a politician that said this. You have to define your your own truth. What? Truth does not need my definition. Truth is truth. I don't get to create my version of truth, but our world today says this is your truth and this is your truth, how can I argue with your truth? Well, your truth may be stupid. I heard a guy this week, actually about three weeks ago, he has identified himself as a six-year-old girl. He's a 50-something-year-old man. He says, no, really, I'm a six-year-old girl, and somebody has adopted him as a six-year-old girl. That's his truth. That's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, y'all. But see, you can't define your truth. God defines our truth. And when we start looking at God and who he is, he aligned, we align ourselves with the truth. Now, how can I trust God? Look at this list. Look at what he's done for you. Look at this list. I'm going to go through it. Who forgives all your iniquities. What? What's an iniquity? It's your sin. He's forgiven all your sins. How many's all? All of them. Listen to me. In Christ, when you're a Christian, when you belong to Jesus, when you pray, Jesus, I'm yours. Get this: He's forgiven the sins you're going to do. What? You can't out Jesus. He's ahead of you. Should I sin more? than I can, you know, get more benefits. No, that's just called stupid too. But we live in the reality of being forgiven all our iniquities. He heals all your diseases. What? Yeah. Whoa, 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 Scott. Time out, time out, time out. I know Christians who have cancer and they have died and God did not heal them from their diseases. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. Because the moment they left this body, they were present with the Lord. And the ultimate healing is to be home free. Now, God may choose to heal my affirmities temporarily so that I may glorify him greater. But even if he does not heal me, when you hear of my death, don't you believe it? I'll be more alive than I've ever been because I'll be in the presence of King Jesus. And knowing that he is my healer, I ask for the temporary relief from my affirmities and he gives me the permanence of my healing at home with him in heaven. I sat on this front row. Um, I did a silly thing today. I was praying for Tara, and I called her to tell her I was praying for her. I didn't leave her a message, so she thought I was, had to go to the hospital or something. But I was praying for Tara this morning, and I was thinking about my mom and my dad and my grandparents. And I realize that in heaven today is my mama, my daddy, and my grandparents. And they are fine. They are healed. My mother's cloudy mind with Alzheimer's has been opened. My father's hip impingement, which called him to limp, which he gave to me, by the way, has been healed. My grandpa Weatherford, who lost an eye when he was seven years old, It has been restored. The ultimate healing is to be home free. And how many of our diseases does he heal? All of them. All of them. Who redeems your life from the pit. Have you ever been in the pit? (laughs) Some of y'all are in it right now, aren't you? You got critters down in there with you. And God says, I will deliver you from the pit, the pit of despair, the pit of depravity, the the pit of brokenness, the pit of financial ruin. I'm a God who will snatch you out of the pit. It says this in the psalm, I've taken me out of the mud and set me on a rock. Why am I setting you on a rock so you can praise me? What can mere men do to me? If God is for me, who could be against me? Let the Lord fight my battles because he lifts me out of the pit. He goes on to say, if I don't get faster, we'll be here all day. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He literally takes his steadfast love and mercy and he puts it on your head. You, my beloved, my friends, are the prince and princess of love and mercy. His steadfast love means love without end. His tender mercy, mercy that does not need any reaction from us. We receive it because it's permanent. And he crowns us with that. He satisfies you with good so your youth is renewed like eagles. And I thought about that. He fills my life with good things. I thought about that last night in particular as Lily and Ivy were at our house the good things of our little grandchildren. Now, they're coming to spend the weekend with Papa and Gigi in two weeks, so I may have a different sermon about the good things in our lives. But he fills our life with good things, and I realize this, the good things are not just Colin's pumpkin cheesecake. From the kitchen of Jesus, right? You know what it is? It's relationships. It's relationships, that we are made rich by the relationships we have. Hmm. I'm a rich man because of you, and you are rich because of each other. Now, if we started thinking that way and live that way, he fills our life with good things. I think our attitude towards people starts to change. In the middle of this political season, I have grown weary of the partisan infighting and argument and just the open lies that I'm hearing from our politicians. And I realize God's filled our lives with good things. And that's us. Even politicians bless their heart. But it gets better. Listen to what else he says. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Who does? Oh, I do. I get to defend my rights. No, 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 no. The Lord does. The Lord does. We did a series not long ago about help the oppressed plead for the exploited and God's response to social injustice. You can go back on our website and our archives and listen to those four talks. But God is the one who defends the orphan and the widow. God is the one who puts his mercy in place and he uses us to do it. He is the one who is the, the, the defender. I do not have to defend myself. Listen to me, folks. Do you think I've ever been criticized as a pastor? Do you think so? Do I need to fight my battles? No. LBJ, who grew up not far from here in Johnson City, he said this, sometimes you have to be like a mule in a hell storm. You stand there and take it. God is the one who defends and he helps the oppressed, including you. He made his ways known to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. You go, why does he drag up Moses here? Because they were always talking about Moses. No, 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 no. The reason he dragged up Moses here, because Moses was a leader given to them by God to lead with humility and wisdom. And God is so loving. He's given you leaders who lead with humility and wisdom. I'm the pastor of this church. I'm the lead pastor of this church, but Jesus is the senior pastor. And we've had many, many lead pastors before. One of the lead lead pastors we've had that I had the privilege to know personally is Dr. Richard Cheatham. I love that guy. We serve God together. There's no greater cheerleader and encourager than this former pastor. The pastors who before me, I love them. I respect them. I know some of them personally. I don't know some of them personally, but I love them and respect them because together we're in this. It's not about a person other than King Jesus. And God sends leaders into our lives. Why did God send me to you? Why did he do that? Some of y'all are thinking the same thing. Why did he do that? What did we do to deserve that? You know why God sent me? Two reasons, two things. To lead you and to love you to lead you to become like Christ and to love you while you're becoming like Christ, while we're becoming like Christ. Am I perfect? Thank you for that, no. Yeah. Was that Tara's voice? No. no, that was, yeah. I think that was Amber, my assistant. No, he's not perfect, no, I'm kidding. Listen to this. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Here's the second thing I want you to see. God never looks on you without love. Now, those of you who are married, let me ask you this question. Do you ever look at your spouse in an unloving way? (laughs) Certainly not, right? The look of love is in your eyes. Yeah. You've been married longer than 10 minutes. You've already known the stare or the look or the glance. Hmm. But God never looks at you that way. You ever look at your kids without the look of love? You ever look at your kids like, I'm going to kill you and make another one? <laughs> yeah. Or look at your neighbor, or look at the guy in front of you, driving in Austin traffic. But God never does. He looks at us with love. And he's always gazing on us love. Now, does he discipline us? Yeah, he does. Is there adversity that comes in our lives? Trials? Yeah, God says when trials come into your life, consider it joy. Because it's an opportunity for you to be strengthened. Yay. <laughs> wow. But he looks at you with love. Now, let me read this. He will not constantly accuse us. Satan is the accuser. God is not. Satan is the one who accuses you. Nor will he remain angry forever. He does not punish us for our sins as we deserve. Y'all, following Jesus, there is no karma. None. Now we believe, well, if I do bad things, I'll get bad things. If I do good things, I'll do good things. No, 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 no. You never get what you deserve with God. You get love and mercy. So should we extend what we've received? Yeah. Hmm. For his unfailing love toward, towards those who fear him as great as the heights of the heaven are above the earth. He has removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. You've been forgiven. And he looks at you with love. He doesn't look at you and say, sinner, lizard, stop it. He looks at you with love. I'm amazed by that. That God is the redeemer. He's the justifier. He's the healer. He's the sanctifier, and he's our coming king. Wow. And I can live in freedom knowing that I have been forgiven. I can live in freedom knowing that he will sustain me. I can live in freedom. And see, we have a father. His name is God Almighty. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. He knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. Several years ago, I was teaching about the fatherhood of God a guy in our church in Texas, he got mad and got up and left. He got mad and got up and left. I saw him storm out. He made his exit known. And so, uh, you know, I let him go. A few months later, I saw him in a restaurant. He came up to me, he said, I'm mad at you. I said, why are you mad at me? He said, you're talking about God being a daddy. My daddy was worthless. He was drunk. He beat my mama, he beat me. I, if God's God's daddy, I want nothing to do with daddies. Nothing to do with daddies. I said, but buddy, you've got a daddy wound. And God's the only one that can heal that daddy wound. God says, I will be a father to the fatherless. He teared up. He said, Preacher, I was mad at you, but I should just be mad at the old devil because God's been trying to be my daddy and I won't let him. Let him. I had an awesome dad. He wasn't perfect. My dad made mistakes. But I got a daddy God who does not make mistakes. And he could take my father wound. And he can fill it with his spirit. I, I try to be a good daddy. I'm not perfect. Man, I made mistakes. I probably spanked them when I should have loved them. Encouraged them instead of lecturing to them. They don't need to hear a sermon from me. They need to see love from me. I know I'm not a perfect daddy. But I've got a perfect God who is a perfect daddy. And I want to say this to you. Of all the titles I have, the title I love best is Papa Scott. Papa Scott, because being Papa Scott means I can love unconditionally. Amen. You know what? I may not have been a perfect daddy, but gummit, I'm going to be a perfect grandpa. Amen. It's the second chance. Second chance. And I thank God for that. Am I, I going to be perfect those little girls? No. Little Ivy, she got in trouble last week. She got a spanking. She crawled up in Papa's lap. She was crying. I said, what'd you do? She told me, I said, well, did you need it? He goes, Yes. I said, you know what? Papa will never spank you. She goes, I know. <laughs> That's what papas are for. We've got a daddy God who loves us, who disciplines us, but he's always loving us. He knows how weak you are. He knows your struggles and your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups. He knows. And he's sending his Holy Spirit into your life to strengthen you. I have a God who will never leave me nor forsake me. I have a God, a daddy, who's ahead of me, but he's also behind me. I have a God who, who's above me, and he's also below me. I have a daddy who hems me in, and I am so thankful. I'm so thankful. And even though I walk through the dark valley, of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for my daddy God has his hands on me, on me. Here's the last thing I want you to know, I'm gonna quit. God never gives up on you. He never gives up on you. When I moved to Texas, I heard some phrases I'd never heard before. Texas phrases that were just different. One of the phrases I heard was, well, I'm just gonna write them off. I'm gonna write them off. Like, what does that mean? And the sad thing is I heard that from a preacher talking about a deacon he was mad at. I'll write him off. I'm so grateful we have a God who will never write us off. You're not too far away for God to rescue. You're not too broken that God can't heal you. You're not so sin-filled that God cannot fill you with his spirit. He'll never give up on you. Listen to what the psalmist says here. Our days on earth are like grass, they're like wildflowers. We bloom and die. Yeah, it's it's quick. The wind blows, and we are gone as though we have never been. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who love him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, for those who obey his commands. What does that mean? It means this, that I have a short shelf life but I have an eternal God and I'm marching into his arms and that my life will end in the embrace of King Jesus but the love I've been given for God extends from me into eternity. The Bible says this, that the Lord visits the sins of the Father on the children to the third and fourth generation, but the righteousness of the Father, the ones who fear the Lord, He extends the blessing to the thousandth generation. When I was seven, I gave my heart to Jesus. I was seven. Why was I ready? Because the salvation of my mama and papa extended to my heart to be receptive. For King Jesus to come in. I'm living the extended salvation. Why? Because before them. Was a mama and papa. And a mama and papa. And now I'm living. To extend. This blessing. To my kids. And their kids. And to the thousandth generation. This is what the Lord has done for me. My life may end. In a hundred years from now, at the 234th celebration of First Baptist Church, Wimberley, no one will remember Scott Weatherford, but they will remember King Jesus because of the extended salvation of our God. Church, we sit in a place of legacy now that when we decide to be the church, outwardly focused, living for the glory of God, not living for the comfort of ourselves. When we say, I will live to make a difference, we have an opportunity to extend the legacy to the thousandth generation. My prayer is 100 years from now, a pastor will stand, probably not on this stage, maybe in a brush arbor somewhere because serving Christ would be illegal, but this church will survive. And he'll say, we exist to build lives that honor God. Because 134 years ago at Jacob's well, there was a group of people who said, we exist to build lives that honor God. I will live to make a difference. We will live to make a difference because I have been, then I will, then I will. What will you do?